The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks under pressure this morning as investors get into the thick of the busiest week of earnings season and the continued fallout from those very wild swings in heavily shorted stocks. Janet Yellen officially clearing the final hurdle in her historic path to becoming the next Treasury Secretary of the United States. Apollo's, Apollo Global's, Leon Black announcing his exit from the CEO job amid renewed questions over his ties to former financier Jeffrey Epstein. President Biden setting a new goal for COVID vaccinations in this country as his administration looks to overcome early headaches in its mass inoculation push and a revamp of New York City's famed restaurant week as eateries look to keep their doors open, roll out a new strategy, and stay in business. It is Tuesday, January 26th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures looking to pull back from some record levels. At this stage, the Dow is implied lower by just about 10 points, 12 points here. The S&P off by just around seven and the Nasdaq down by 39. We'll call it relatively stable here in the pre-market trade ahead of the opening bell for regular cash equities trading. This is all after a very volatile day to kick off the trading week. The S&P 500 climbing a third of a percent to a new record high after being down more than one percent earlier in the session. The Nasdaq, meanwhile, climbing nearly three quarters of a percent to close at a new record high. The Dow pretty much ended flat on the day, as you can see there. Now, yesterday's session was marked by very wild swings in heavily shorted stocks, including GameStop, AMC Entertainment, BlackBerry, Bed Bath & Beyond, among others, as retail investors and day traders started betting against short-selling hedge funds. That battle was huge, and it led to some very wild swings. Those pre-market trades right now, you can see, still very wild today as well. We also want to look at the bond market. We are seeing a slight move in yields. Benchmark 10-year Treasury note yields, you can see there right now, 1.05%, a slight tick higher. Two-year note yields, 0.12%, and the 30-year long bond, 1.81% the last trade there. Let's now go worldwide. Despite the new record set on Wall Street, stocks finishing the day with steep losses in Asia. The Nikkei falling nearly 1%, as you can see. The Shanghai in China down about 1.5%. And the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, Kospi in Korea, both down more than 2%. Now let's swing that globe around and look at the early trade in Europe right now. You can see green arrows pretty much across the board for the major bourses there, led by the German DAX up one and a third percent, the FTSE 100 in the UK up half a percent, and the CAC in France up about 1% there as well, predominantly green in terms of trade for the European session so far. Now to this morning's top stories. 
Janet Yellen has officially been confirmed as the next Treasury secretary. Yellen getting that approval in an 84 to 15 vote, making her the first woman to lead that department. She will now focus on pushing through President Biden's very ambitious economic agenda, including his one point nine trillion dollar fiscal stimulus package. Leon Black has announced he plans to step down as CEO of Apollo Global Management. The move by Black, set for the end of July, comes after an independent review of his ties to the late financier and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The review found that Black was not involved in any of Epstein's criminal activities, but that he had paid Epstein $158 million for financial advice after his conviction for paying an underage girl for sexual services back in 2008. Black will, though, remain as Apollo's chairman. And Apple has tapped its hardware chief to lead a new mystery project. The tech giant says Dan Riccio will transition to a role focusing on a new project, quote-unquote, but would not elaborate. Riccio previously was tasked with approving the physical aspects and electrical engineering of products, including the iPhone. The company has reportedly been working on electric cars as well as virtual reality and augmented reality headsets. So all kinds of question marks abound about Riccio's next project. Now to the latest out of Washington, D.C., as President Biden prepares for another day of executive orders. This as he looks to ramp up covid vaccinations in this country while continuing to try and strike a deal with Republicans on a new stimulus package. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington, D.C., with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Dom, good morning. Good morning, everyone. So the numbers in Washington just continue to pile up. How much uh, President Biden wants to spend to deal with the economy and the impact of COVID, the number of deaths. He's now predicting 600,000 people could die before this gets better, but also promising to speed up vaccinations. Without the ability to reach consensus. Upping the ante, President Biden is now promising more than 100 million COVID vaccinations in his first 100 days. I think we may be able to get that to 150, uh, 1.5 million a day. With shots available to everyone by spring, right now states are running out of vaccine. A 65-year-old cannot get an appointment. Just over 3 million Americans have received both doses. Finding money to help struggling Americans, to help businesses bounce back, that could take weeks. The White House and Senate are negotiating. Republicans argue Biden's nearly $2 trillion plan is too much. The new administration's first draft of their sprawling proposal misses the mark. I'm open to negotiate those things. As the president issues orders today to advance equity in communities of color, the Senate is moving toward an impeachment trial the week of February 8th. The trial will be done in a way that is fair, but with relatively quickly. Senator Patrick Leahy, a Democrat, will preside instead of the chief justice of the Supreme Court. He basically is operating as a judge and a juror, and he's got a conflict of interest. The article or charge against former President Trump has been delivered. Senators will be sworn in as jurors this afternoon. But the trial won't start for two weeks. This week, the Senate is focusing on more confirmation hearings, holding three more today for secretaries of state, commerce and homeland security, Dom. 
A very busy uh, agenda there in the Senate for sure. Tracy Potts, live in Washington, D.C. there. Thank you very much for that. Back to the markets now. Futures under pressure slightly as investors await a very busy day of earnings reports ahead. We will get those reports from the likes of Microsoft, General Electric, Verizon and Johnson and Johnson as we work our way through the heart of earnings season this week. As you can see there, it is the busiest week of the season for those corporate reports. For more on the trading day ahead, I'm now joined by Bill Stone, chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust Company. Bill, great to have you here. What is it right now that has struck you about what's happening with earnings season and the overall markets? Are earnings reports even that important anymore, given what's happening in Washington, D.C., the vaccine rollouts and everything else? Well, I guess they remain important in the sense that they're coming in extremely good. Now, a lot of that's already discounted in how much stocks have come up uh, starting last year and obviously continued uh, this year. Um, So I think some of the future 2021 numbers are more important. So I think you're seeing companies trade more off of what the expectations of the rebound in earnings are uh, for 2021. But then you've got this overlay of quite a bit of speculation. You talked about that whole uh, issue in terms of some pressuring on the short sellers. We've got a lot of SPACs coming, all those kind of things that to me, you know, just signal a little bit of a frothy market that's probably a reason to be a little more cautious at the moment. I keep hearing the, the arguments and justifications for valuations for stocks at these levels. The biggest case, people say, is that if interest rates are as low as the way they are, you can afford to have stock valuations like this because the alternative is not very much in terms of a risk-free rate in investments in the Treasury market. Does that hold water? I think it does. I mean, you know, just listen to Warren Buffett. You know, if you don't believe me, the fact is interest rates matter for stock valuations. That doesn't mean they can't correct, they can't get get hit, and that also doesn't mean you know, interest rates are likely to go up over time as the economy continues to go on the mend. So there's going to be pressure from that side. I also think you have to think about future returns. So, you know, future returns are probably lower from stocks over time. But you're right, relative to bonds, uh, they certainly look attractive. And I think that's part of the story or a lot of the story of why money's gravitating to that side. All right. You can gravitate towards equities in in more traditional manners, or you can do so in the way that we've seen for stocks like BlackBerry yesterday or GameStop or even Bitcoin to a certain extent here. What exactly is driving some of the bubble type mentality that's developing in certain parts of the market right now? And is it indicative or a warning sign of the broader market overall or isolated incidents? I mean, I think what's driving it clearly is low interest rates and that, you know, the ability or maybe the, the feeling that you can take that risk and, and it, you might get bailed out in the end. Um, I, I probably, like I said, I would be more cautious in those areas. I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't think it necessarily has to spill over to the rest of the market. Certainly, you get a risk-off environment. A lot of those names, you know, will get hit pretty darn hard, I suspect, um, because in a lot of cases, not super high quality businesses. Uh, we're already having trouble. So uh, I would tread lightly there unless you really, you know, know what you're doing in terms of that kind of speculation. I, I focus or we focus here on high quality investments. So it's not the kind of thing, like I said, that I have a dog in the fight there. All right. Bill Stone, the Glenview Trust. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts, sir. Thank you. When we come back on the show, former Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp lays out the top economic priorities for President Biden and where he may find successful compromise 
with his Republican counterparts and whatnot in Congress. Plus, Google looks to hit lawmakers who tried to overturn the presidential election where it matters the most. Yeah, in the wallet. And later on, we talked to one top analyst about what to expect from Johnson & Johnson's quarterly results and what we could learn about its vaccine development campaign. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's dive back into those wild swings that we saw in those heavily shorted stocks we mentioned uh, just yesterday as retail investors and day traders bet against short selling type hedge funds. Now, we want to start with the stock at the center, arguably, of all of this, and that is GameStop. Take a look at those shares up 18 percent in the pre-market right now. It's big. It's ninety one dollars. But to put it in context, at the high point yesterday at the highs here, on an intraday basis, we got over $159 per share. That is how wild it's gotten. A lot of technical dynamics with regard to short covering, with regard to the kind of battle brewing between these types of stocks is brewing out there. Still, though, GameStop emblematic right now of what's happening with some of these retail-oriented stocks. Also, though, take a look at another stock caught up in the action as well. That is AMC Entertainment. Now, this is the theater chain operator. It has been hit hard during the virus pandemic. You can see a very rocky ride for investors up 16% in the pre-market trade right now, a $5 stock. The reason why it's important was there was actually some news out there for this stock. They secured a line of financing that will help it stave off bankruptcy, at least in the near to medium term. That was what drove those shares, but again, a heavily shorted issue. And then a final stock to watch here, a former tech darling. I remember having one of these back in the day. Remember BlackBerry? Well, they're not into devices so much anymore these days, more a software company. Still, though, up 18%, a heavily shorted stock. Not much of anything happening over the course of the last year. And then a massive breakup to the upside here. BlackBerry coming out with some of those results and numbers and commentary from the company that sent those shares soaring and a lot of people betting against the stock, rushing to buy back shares to cover their positions at a loss. BlackBerry, AMC Entertainment, and of course, GameStock, three of those big stocks to watch, especially when it comes to Internet chat forums. Well, still on deck for the show, we talked to one New York City restaurateur about the shifts in strategy he's been forced to make to survive amid the ongoing COVID restrictions. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to the show. Right now, that's a live shot of Chicago, Illinois, 419 Central Time. They're in the midst of a snowstorm out there. 
that could forecast to bring some snowfall that could make things unsafe. We are forecast to get stuff out here in the New York area as well. We'll keep an eye on that here. So Chicago, stay safe out there in that snow and cold weather. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in the New York newsroom with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Yeah, the weather, one of the biggest stories of the day because one of the biggest winter storms so far this year is moving across the country from Arizona to the northeast. Alerts have been issued in at least 23 states and 100 million people are under winter weather warnings. Parts of northern Arizona are expected to see more than a foot of snow by this morning. And breaking overnight in Alabama, the National Weather Service confirmed that a tornado struck Fultondale. Officials are estimating around 20 people may be hurt, but search and rescue teams are still working to reach everyone. And there is a possibility of more tornadoes. And finally, history on the hardwood in Orlando as Natalie Sago and Jenna Schroeder became the first pair of female officials to ref the same NBA game. Sago and Schroeder were joined by Sean Wright for the Hornets Magic game. Dom, back to you. Awesome story there for sure. Philip Mena, thank you very much for that. Well, New York City Restaurant Week, it's a very big deal every year. It's already kicked off with a focus this year, of course, on on-to-go orders. More than 570 restaurants have now signed up to be a part of this annual event, hundreds more than the previous record. Now, this event, which has been key for many eateries in normal times, is now even more critical amid continued COVID restrictions. For more on how restaurants have had to adapt to the changes brought on by the virus pandemic, I'm now joined by Brian Owens, founder and managing partner of Crave Fish Bar in Manhattan, To say, Brian, that Restaurant Week is key for so many small eateries and even larger ones in New York City is an understatement. How does it feel this year, given the fact that we have the COVID pandemic and people aren't actually eating in restaurants as much as they have in the past? Uh, Absolutely. And thank you, Don, for having me on this morning. Um, You know, Restaurant Week is normally a really exciting week for restaurants. A lot of people in New New York and Tri-State area get to visit restaurants where they might not normally visit, the, the menus are discounted, and it's just really a great way for us to market ourselves to not only a regular demographic, but people who are going to come in, check us out, and then you know maybe come at another you know time when they're celebrating a birthday or, or a family um, occasion. So it's it's a big week for us, and we're really happy that New York City Restaurant and Co, who produces and markets this decide to, you know, really innovate and uh, turn around the format and, and do it uh, for takeout and to go. All right. So we know how it's changed. More takeout, more to go, that type of thing. How exactly does that impact you as a restaurateur? What changes have you had to make? Or is this just a continuation of what we've seen over the better part of the last year? I think even before the pandemic, um, you know, there's a lot more delivery. Um, so, you know, at one point at Cray Fish Bar, you know, we're a full service restaurant. We're, we're a neighborhood fine dining restaurant. So, you know, um, we it was really only 3% of our sales. And this year, you know, we had to turn around and say, well, you know, delivery needs to be at least 50 to 60% of our sales uh, for us to survive. So it's, it's really something that, you know, it, we weren't really, um, we're a brick and mortar restaurant. We have, you know, 50 full-time employees. Uh, very labor intensive. It's fresh seafood. Um, it's prepped and, and prepared every day. We have a big team. So we really are down to, you know, a, a smaller menu, a skeleton crew. And we had to really innovate in terms of finding ways to, um, you know, develop a robust um, native online ordering platform 
So instead of people going to the big companies and those big companies take yeah, anywhere from 25 to 30% of our sale, we developed uh, you know, the platform in-house to you know, own that relationship with the guests, drive the traffic to our website, and at least have that relationship with them um, and, and offer them exclusive benefits, cheaper delivery. So we've done a lot inside the restaurants um, that I think that once things come back to normal, um, this will be increased sales that we never had before. Once things come back to normal, those are those are big words. We're all very optimistic right now. How exactly do you think uh, customer patterns have changed and how have how have restaurant patterns changed in the pandemic and how many of those types of patterns will continue into the future? I think there's a lot of things to hear stay. Um, I think that we all thought 2021 was just going to be this magical moment where everything's going to change. Um, I think that was just, you know, a lot of hope in the summer. And then as we got you know into the fall, we realized that this is here for a lot longer. Um, you know, New York City is still locked down, so we only have outdoor dining. So I think that, you know, uh, the restaurants all in Manhattan really had to figure out a way to, you know, set up the street structures that are heated correctly uh, because, the last couple of nights have been just brutally cold. And if you don't have the proper heating, um, you know, you just customers are just not going to come in. So I think that that's been a, a big challenge. Um, and that has a lot to do with your actual fiscal real estate, has to do with your electrical capacity on your panels. Um, and it has to be, you know, finding the heaters, which is basically like, you know, a, a gray market item trying to find, um, you know, powerful infrared heaters at this moment. So I think that, you know, delivery is here to stay. Um, we've been fortunate that New York State lets us deliver um, liquor at this moment where they never did before. Sure. So that's been something that's really nice um, that we're able to, you know, for restaurant week, offer you this, you know, um, entree and, and appetizer. And then we can also offer you, you know, the ability to buy a cocktail or a bottle of wine. So we do like a, a wine pairing that goes exactly with that um, dish that we're offering. So there's, there's ways to be creative with that. And I think that, that you know, for uh, we expect for a little while, and I would say at least, you know, till the end of the year, we're not going to get back to, you know, people sitting elbow to elbow, three deep at the bar. And that's kind of the the, the beauty of, of a lot of restaurants in these um, big cities is, you know, the energy that comes from people being shoulder to shoulder, you know, um, you know, create something that there's just that vibe. Sure, of course. Well, Brian Owens at the Crayfish Bar, we, we hope you and all the restaurants in New York City do well during this big restaurant week and good luck for the rest of the season. Please come back and let us know how business is going later on down the line. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Well, still on deck for the show, former Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp is standing by with the key areas she feels the Biden administration should focus on to find success in rolling out its economic agenda. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Good morning. Take a look at that ticker beneath you because it shows that markets are in a holding pattern as investors prepare for a flood of corporate earnings results. Janet Yellen, she is confirmed by the Senate, the first woman to lead the Treasury Department. We will talk about the Biden administration's economic plans with former Senator Heidi Heitkamp and the fight against COVID. As new strains are confirmed in the United States, the country races to find more vaccine supply. It's Tuesday, January 26th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how your money and investments are shaping up halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures, as I said, pointed to some modest losses at the opening bell. The Dow implied lower by just three points. We'll call it flat. The S&P down by about five points. And the Nasdaq would open lower by just around 34, 35 points. This is all coming after a very volatile day of trading to kick off the week. The S&P 500 climbing roughly one-third of 1% to a new record high after being down at one point in the session more than a percent. The Nasdaq, meanwhile, climbing nearly three-quarters of a percent to also close at a record high. The Dow, as you can see there, marginally to the downside, we'll call it flat. Also want to take a look at the price of Bitcoin. Yes, it's been a huge trade these days. You can see there, 32348 the last trade for Bitcoin, at least on the Coinbase exchange, down about one-half of 1%. This has the cryptocurrency exchange Luno and brokerage OSL claim that Bitcoin's price could surpass $50,000 over the long term as the digital asset vies with gold for investment flows. So one take there. Obviously, they have an axe to grind. They're an exchange platform for Bitcoin. Well, in corporate news, Facebook is rolling out its news product in the U.K. today. It's, it launched in the U.S. last June. Now, this product aims to curate and personalize news from hundreds of publications, the social media giant will pay some U.K. publishers for that content. Facebook shares off one half of one percent in the pre-market trade. Google confirming its political action committee, its PAC, will not fund congressional members who voted against the presidential election results. Now, that PAC had paused funding after the Capitol riots while the company conducted a review. Alphabet shares also, the parent company of Google, down half of 1% in the pre-market. And in COVID-related news, President Biden says he thinks the U.S. could top 1.5 million vaccinations per day. That's up from his earlier target of 1 million jabs per day or 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days of his administration. Meantime, in other headlines out of the White House, President Biden announcing plans to replace the government's fleet of cars and trucks with electric vehicles, but of course, assembled in the United States. He made the comments yesterday when signing a new Buy American executive order, but did not give a time frame for that switch to those EVs. For more now on President Biden's policies, let's bring in our next guest, CNBC contributor and former Democratic senator of North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let's take us through your initial impressions. What do you think about the first week or so of President Biden's new administration and what exactly should they be focusing on for the coming weeks? They're focusing on exactly what they need to focus on, which is COVID, COVID, COVID. And I think um, the new strains has people have people out here pretty stressed. I think everybody's concerned that the plans that we have right now to tackle the old virus may not work on the new virus. And you see it in consumer uh, confidence, which you're going to find out what those numbers look like today. But I think that as you look at this new administration, they are hyper-focused on getting the economy back working. They can't do that unless they get the virus under control. And the vaccinations are such a huge part of that. I think uh, responding to a lot of concern from the public health community, which is a new development in the White House, um, you see now an uh, increase in the goal of um, how many vaccinations we can do a day. I think that's a positive move, responding to the, the experts and the professionals who say uh, 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 a million wasn't enough. I think um, we now have a new administration in the White House 
that is hyper-focused on this challenge. It seems as though this would be front and center for anybody, not just the president of the United States, but any policymaker in the U.S. as well. It seems like it would be a bipartisan issue. How difficult will it be to come to some kind of a term on a deal for this relief package, given the fact that President Biden now is facing some friction and contention with the senators right now on the Republican side of the aisle? Well, I think the the group to watch is the group that had a long conference call with the White House on Sunday during the Packers game. So it tells you how um, how how much of an emergency this is. Uh, When you look at that group there, they are very, very serious about doing a deal. I think the president is very serious about listening to all points of view. But mainly what we should be watching, I think uh, those of us who watch the tea leaves, Watch this group along with the promise or with the the common sense group over in the House of Representatives. I think they're willing to do a deal. I think it's it's an interesting sidestep um, from leadership on both sides. And I think um, it bodes well for actually getting a covid deal. Will it be as robust as what uh, the Biden administration first planned? It's hard to know. I think it will be realigned and the priorities will be realigned. The question becomes, how much pushback will you get from the right, um, from the the Ted Cruz, Mike Lee group, and how much pushback will you get from the left, um, who who want a very robust, uh, aggressive plan that sends out a lot of money to a lot of people in this country. How important is that money? How important is it to get direct relief to folks out there in America, like the stimulus packages that we saw during the Trump administration, those checks, so to speak? Is that the biggest part of this whole problem that we have, is that we need to get cash into Americans' hands? You know, Dom, it's interesting because obviously you know that I'm a moderate. And um, I think the points of view that were expressed by the, the moderate group, which is this needs to be targeted. Let's get the help where the help is really needed. Let's not continue to just kind of throw money in the air and hope it lands in the right place. And so I expect that the package that's going to pass is going to be very focused on the bottom quartile who have been exceptionally hard hit by COVID. And I think it's going to be focused on small business. So you just had a great interview with how the restaurants in New York are adapting. Seventy percent of the American economy is consumption. We'll find out how people are feeling in terms of consumer strength. And a lot of the reaction will be, how do you bolster that confidence and get people spending money again, get money moving around in the economy and get consumers comfortable with their future, which um, uh, means getting the COVID uh, problem under control. All right. Heidi Heikamp, former senator from North Dakota, Democratic side of the aisle. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Tom. Well, coming up on the show, Bertha Coombs will break down the dual hurdles home health care companies are facing in the push to ramp up COVID vaccinations in this country. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top stories, Leon Black announcing plans to step down as CEO of Apollo Global Management later on this year. The move by Black comes after an independent review of his ties to the late convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, which found Black was not involved in any of Epstein's criminal activities. Amazon continuing its U.S. expansion as it plans to hire 3,000 corporate employees in the Boston area. The move follows the tech giant's hiring sprees and regional expansions in other major U.S. cities and hubs. 
and Pizza Hut get this announcing the latest move in its turnaround plans. It's all about Detroit-style pizza being launched at locations nationwide for a limited time, with that style pie being the fastest-growing pizza trend in the United States. Apparently, the sauce goes on top of the cheese and toppings. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We continue to talk about the COVID vaccine rollout. And in the case of home health care companies, it's presenting a challenge on two fronts. Getting workers inoculated in states where supplies are tight and trying to find a way to get the vaccine to seniors who are homebound. Bertha Coombs joins us now with more on that story. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Dom. It's a huge challenge. You know, while nursing home and assisted living workers were among the first to get vaccinated, home health care firms employees have had to get in line behind other frontline workers. As a result, only a quarter of Emeticis's home health and hospice workers have been inoculated nationally at this point. United Health's Prospero Health Unit is requiring its clinicians to get the vaccine, but so far just over one in three have gotten their first dose because vaccine access varies so widely, even within states. We're having to contact individual counties where our workers reside to understand how those counties are uh, distributing the vaccine. So it's really dependent on how uh, states have decided to roll out the vaccine, the amount of authority they give to the counties. And while pharmacies are in the process of vaccinating nursing home residents, they were contracted by the government, there's no plan yet for getting to the nation's 2 million homebound seniors living on their own. In New Jersey, the Visiting Nurse Association has been testing home vaccinations with a handful of patients who've suffered strokes and who lived really close to an area community health center so they can get the Moderna vaccines before it spoils. While we're doing a couple of these on a pilot basis, I think to make this happen at a large scale nationally for all the homebound seniors, uh, America's home health agencies would benefit from some additional guidance from Medicare. Right now, he says there's not even a billing code for this type of vaccination. And what they'd like is for Medicare to do a pilot to get the shots to homes without the vaccine spoiling, which is a big complicating factor, and also give them access to supply, Dom. I mean, the supply access is going to be key there in, in all of these discussions. I wonder here now, could, a, could the Johnson & Johnson vaccine alleviate perhaps some of the hurdles for home inoculation. I mean, we've only talked about Moderna and Pfizer right now. Could a a larger new entry, so to speak, really kind of solve the problems there? That is part of the hope. You know, obviously the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are messenger RNA. They have to be kept at very cold temperatures. They have to be used within a very short time of them being taken out of the vial. The Johnson and Johnson, if it works uh, and is uh, efficacious, is less complicated than that. Of course, we have to wait to see what happens with those trial results. Uh, we're still a ways away, but that might help some of the logjam and complicated situations like this. Even in nursing homes, the pharmacies have said, you know, this takes a while and you have to sit with someone 15 minutes afterwards when you're going room to room, individual to individual. It takes a lot longer to do.
All right. Bertha Coombs with the latest there. Thank you very much for that update. Let's stick with that Johnson & Johnson theme. It's set to release its fourth quarter results before the opening bell today. The company is also slated to announce updates, yes, on its phase three COVID vaccine trial by the end of this month. Joining us now for what to expect from the company is Louise Chen, analyst at Cantor Fitzgerald. Louise, thank you very much for joining us. You just heard Bertha's report. Perhaps you can tell our viewers, myself, first of all, refresh our memories. What is the key difference between Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine candidate versus that of Moderna and Pfizer? Hi, good morning. Thank you. So the main difference between the Johnson Johnson vaccine and Pfizer and Moderna is it's a different platform. It's an adenovirus platform, the Ad26 platform, and then the Pfizer and Moderna's mRNA vaccine. And also one of the main differences, as you had mentioned earlier, it's a one dose versus one dose plus a booster. So it'll be easier to administer and it doesn't require any very cold storage that the Pfizer vaccine requires. So logistically, it'll be easier as well. How close are we and how, how much is this important to Johnson & Johnson's overall financial results and perhaps its public perception? Yep. So I think for the public, for humanity, for public perception, I think it's very important as it pertains to Johnson & Johnson longer term and what we view about the stock, I think it's less important. I think for a lot of these big players, the vaccine sales, it's uncertain how long they're going to last and whether it's something that's going to have to happen year over year. Um, that being said, in terms of timing, Johnson & Johnson has said by the end of January, it hopes to have data. Some of the headlines that we've seen have said that maybe that might push into early February. We'll know this morning, company reports results about 6.45 a.m. We're hoping for at least some sort of update, if not the actual phase three data. All right, so let's talk about what your expectations are then. What exactly should we expect? Johnson & Johnson is a stock a company right now that sits near record highs. It's been a slow and steady grower for the better part of decades at this point now. What exactly will be that next catalyst for Johnson & Johnson? What does it need to say to get investors involved in that next leg higher, possibly for the stock? Yeah, so I think this morning when they report what we're looking for, first and foremost, vaccine update. Secondly, the 2021 outlook, they've given some broad strokes but above market growth in pharma, double-digit growth in med devices, and competitive growth in consumer health care. And then I think investors in the street are expecting some bumpiness in the fourth quarter in the medical device business due to the resurgence of COVID. But how bumpy will that be and when we're going to see a recovery? And our thesis on the stock really is that the pharma business is underappreciated. And we do think as the pipeline gets realized, the multiple expand and the shares will move higher from where they are today. What exactly, in the, what exactly then does kind of get people excited about this? What part of the business will need to kind of really get things catalyzed for people to say Johnson & Johnson is going to be one of those huge innovators in this space? And are there acquisitions that a company of Johnson & Johnson size needs to make? We've seen other mega cap biotech companies do this type of thing. What do they need to get to make their portfolio more complete? Yeah, I think Johnson & Johnson actually has a great pipeline and commercial products. Currently, they're doing quite well. I think that it's a realization by the street that those assets are actually there because it's quite a diversified business. So what I really like about pharma is I like their heme malignancies business. They're really building something there. In the next 12 months, they'll have some new approvals, CAR-T by specific, things that are really innovative, first in class, best in class of the market. They've built a great immunology and inflammation business, and they also have a great pipeline in rare and orphan diseases. And I think as those become realized, people will really see that there's something very innovative here for J&J. What does Alex Gorski need to do to helm this company towards its next chapter? What's the most important thing in 2021 for Johnson & Johnson's management team to focus on? 
Yeah, I think the most important thing, first and foremost, is obviously the vaccine for the world, for humanity. I think that's quite important. But I think also, I think really showing and demonstrating to the street that it's got something first in class and best in class here. J&J is a huge company and it's diversified both by pipeline and globally. And I think sometimes it's hard for investors in the street to really appreciate the potential growth of each segment. All right. Louise Chen at Cantor, thank you very much for those thoughts. Big report there from Dow Component Johnson & Johnson coming up later on this morning. We appreciate it. Well, coming up on the show, a flood of corporate earnings results, plus the start of a Fed meeting today. What investors need to know about the trading day ahead and week. If you haven't, by the way, already done so, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio form, if you miss us here on air. Check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange Podcasts. We'll be right back. Today's big number, $6 billion. That's how much short sellers have lost betting against GameStop so far in 2021, according to data from S3 Partners. The stock has rallied over 300% this year. $6 billion. That could make you either laugh or cry, depending on which side of the trade you're on for GameStop. Well, welcome back to the show. The market's coming off a mostly higher session yesterday with the Nasdaq extending its winning streak to now five days. Today, the action begins with the Fed kicking off its first policy meeting of the year and earnings season, as you can see there, kicking very much into high gear. We get results from no less than five Dow components, 3M, American Express, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft and Verizon. And then remember this week, 111 or so S&P 500 companies in the mix as well for earnings reports. Let's bring in Steve Chevron, portfolio manager and equity strategist at Federated Hermes. Steve, maybe we'll just start because I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. The big number, $6 billion worth of losses for short sellers in GameStop. Is there anything about those types of companies, GameStop, BlackBerry, AMC, that's got you a little bit worried about the current market environment? Well, I mean, look, I think you are seeing a retail investor that is flexing its muscle and engaging in the markets in a way that it hasn't before. And you see this both on, on you know, in the Robin Hood phenomenon, but now you're seeing it with, with kind of what's going on with, with some of these crushings of the shorts. Um, am I worried about it? I mean, look, you know, there are some signs of froth. Uh, but but that can take a while to play out. Uh, it's just something that we have to contend with as a professional investor, which is there's going to be more stock by stock volatility when you have different players uh, in the market. And so it's our job, you know, in order to as stock pickers um, uh, in the funds that do so, in order to try to pick the winners, avoid the losers. And this makes a little bit more volatility, but. That's the name of the game. As a portfolio manager, Steve, would you be more or less likely to get involved in these types of stocks, given the trading action that you've seen? Or is this one that you would stay away from? Well, again, uh, you know, in my fund, we primarily are, are investing from a macro perspective where we're taking our bets at the, you know, at the asset class level, the industry, the sector level, the country level. We don't really get into I mean, we, we, we do pick individual stocks, but we do that with a quantitative model. So. It's not an issue specifically for us. In terms of our investing teams, I, I think, you know, the ones that do focus on individual stocks at Federated Hermes, you know, it's their job to look and see if there's an undue opportunity or risk. If there's a name that's been beaten down artificially and they want to jump in, fine. Uh, I think that represents a, an outsized opportunity. 
Likewise, if there's names that are that are overdone with a little bit of froth and they want to take the other side of that trade, um, I think that makes sense. Uh, either way, you can't complain about it. You just have to deal with it. All right. So maybe technical factors behind some of the trading action we've seen in those names. Let's talk about the fundamentals, mm-hmm. because I know that you're focused on some of those as well. Fundamentally speaking, does the stock market right now deserve to be at the levels it's at right now? Absolutely. Um, you've got an economy that is leaving a recession. It is not only in recovery, but I think we'll find out this week when we get the Q4 GDP number that in half of a half a year, we will have made up about 80 percent of what we lost uh, during the pandemic in terms of economic activity. That That's as V-shaped as, as recoveries come. And when you look at where the 10-year yield is and when you look at where corporate spreads are and you compare equities versus bonds, they are inexpensive on that measure. Now, that matters uh, because you got to put your money somewhere. And so, you know, by our count, if you look at the historical relationship between stock PEs and where the bond market is, you know, we're trading about five turns less than, than where you normally would, meaning that the stock market has an ability, believe it or not, to, you know, to get meaningfully more expensive from here. And we think it'll do that slowly over the course of the next year or so. What's the key that investors need to focus on or keys investors need to focus on for this earnings season, including this week, the busiest week of earnings season? Look, I, I think the big story is that the last three earnings seasons, Q2, Q3, and now Q4 so far, of which we're about 15% of the way through, have collectively yielded the three most significant beats that we've ever recorded on the S&P 500, you know, beats of 20 plus percent. Um, and that's important because it's getting us back to earnings growth. I think in this quarter, you know, the consensus came in looking for earnings to be down about 9% year over year. That consensus has improved to down 5% year over year. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if it turns out that we show year over year earnings growth in the fourth quarter. I think that that path back to growth is the story. Uh, and it, it's paving the way for what, what it is expected to be you know, 20% plus earnings growth in 2021. I think we're very much on track to that. All right, 15 seconds left here. What's your favorite part of the market right now? Value cyclicals uh, and international equities because they are value. Value cyclicals and international equities. The call from Steve Chevron at Federated Hermes. Thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Dominic. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Stock futures right now pulling back from record highs. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage, and it's coming up next with the Dow implied lower by just 14 points, but the Nasdaq implied lower by roughly 39. We'll see you here tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 